Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with around 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey local provider and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. And we're also streaming live on MoneyMD.net. And also we have Gordon Leppard here, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. Welcome, Gordon. Good to be with you guys again this morning. Yeah. Good morning. But, but check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. You can listen to our podcast here. You can um, you can uh, link to us live um, mm-hmm. you know, on Saturday mornings. Uh, so there's just lots of things on there. And you can also listen to our podcast from uh, uh, Podbean. Podbean. Yeah. Right. Well, you can just go to the website, moneymd.net, and we have a link to it. So yeah. It takes you right there. to us right there. Also got, on iTunes. <clears throat> yeah, we have yep. it categorized by the different types of shows. So we uh, we try to make it easy for you to, to tune in. Exactly. You can also listen to us on your mobile phone, to, uh, Tune In Radio mm-hmm. app. Yep. We'll listen to us on mobile phone. Lots of ladies listening to Money Doctors. So. Yep. Email us your questions, too, at info at moneymd.net. Well, guys, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today. As um, always, don't we? We do. We Very always interesting bring stuff. It. And, you know, I mean, new stuff, too. I mean, here's something I think we haven't talked about ever since we've been on here for, for four or five years. And that is we're going to start talking about what does it mean to be a shrewd money manager? Mm-hmm. Good. I like you ever that. Thought about that. It's a different word. You know, it kind of has some negative connotation to it. But the truth is, when you dig into the meat of it, it's a very positive, very powerful word. You need to be a shrewd manager. And we're going to tell you what it, how, what that means yeah. here today. Powerful there is is a very, very good description. Yeah, that's good. That's going to be is. a good good segment. We're going to follow that up with some marriage advice. You know, not only do we talk about money, but we also talk about marriage. And uh, we had a segment on recently about, you know, money and marriage. Is it like oil and water? And this kind of follows up on that a little bit. And, and sometimes there's one spouse that may be reluctant to, um, to join the financial party or, or you know, saving and so forth. So we're going to give you four tips on how to get through that. Really good article. Give you some good insight into that piece of it. Yeah, that's great. Well, and then to follow up with that um, and round things out, we're going to be talking about donor advised funds and uh, how charitable minded people can um, utilize these funds and maybe some changes that we might be looking at in the yep. the future. Uh, yeah, that's a concern. That's a great topic because donor advised funds are very powerful tools for giving. Yeah, most people don't have any idea what they are, so we're going to talk about that. I mean, I think that's a great, great segment, Gordon, so I look forward to talking about that. Okay, but we are going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Department of Labor, and and guys, we talk about unemployment rates occasionally, but um, this is interesting. The private sector, so that's the sector that's not owned or operated by the government, employs about 84% of all workers in the United States, and you know, that's a, as of last year. And so looked up some stats. There's about 140 million people that are employed. And so if you take 16% of that, um, that is the uh, public sector or the government, is about 22 million workers. So 
Um, I, I didn't realize how many people that was. I mean, it, there's a, I knew there was a lot in the government. Right. 16% doesn't sound too unrealistic, but um, still 22 million people. That's a lot of folks in the government. And that trend is actually um, decreasing a little bit. Last couple of years. That's um, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, that's right. They they need to, to, to shed some, yeah, some we, excess. We've been pulling back on the government sector uh, now for, for quite a while, I think. Yes. And, um, a couple of years. And it, and it should be because, you know, it's gotten bloated and it's too big of a sector. It, it's not a sector that produces even though it's included in the gdp it's not really producing tangible goods and services for the economy as a whole yeah um so and it's funded by taxpayer money obviously which comes out of the, the so i think it's 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 been decreasing and the private sector has been growing yes and all the growth in fact recently has come from the private sector and that's a good thing that's a real good thing. Yeah. So a, I think it's moving in the right direction, although it's still a big chunk, 16%. Oh, no doubt. 22 million people. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people out there that work for the government that do great, great work. I mean, we, we have to have of course. a stable you know, workforce and so forth. Um, but uh, certainly, I think um, having the private sector jobs is, is very beneficial as well. Well, that, and that includes uh, military personnel as well. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so, that's right. True. Yeah. There's definitely yeah, defense, been some changes I mean, there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have to have a... Our country needs solid. A, a solid core government, but there are some excesses that right. we see out there. So Absolutely. I think the trends are in the right right direction. Yeah, I think they are. I mean, you don't want to grow. Go- I mean, you, government's got to do some bare essentials, and uh, you know, the military protecting us, and you know, roads, and 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 all those types of services obviously are very very important. But I think we're we're getting a little carried away. But when it gets back to studies on uh, rabbit massage. Like we uh, yeah, talked yeah. about, a couple yeah, of these we don't need any more studies on rabbit massaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give me a massage. <laughs> We're the only ones that need massages, not rabbits. Okay, <laughs> that leads us up. To, on that note, that leads us up to our first topic, and that is: Are you a shrewd money manager? Um, you know, have you ever thought about what it means, guys, to be shrewd? Hmm. I mean, it does have some negative connotations, um, but the overwhelming connotation with money is very, very positive, and with good reason. Um, According to Rick Warren, shrewd means you're smart, you're strategic, and resourceful. I mean, who doesn't want that? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's great. Another definition from the book, The Shrewd Christian, says says it this way, shrewd is farsighted, astute, pragmatic, and weary. Hmm. Um, Again, I think these are very good and rare qualities when it comes to dealing with money, so when it comes to your, your finances, you need to learn to be a shrewd manager of your money, really, in every way. So how do you do that? Well, well, first of all, you have to kind of establish where you are in terms of financial awareness, because being shrewd is really the top level of financial awareness. Um, so we're going to jump right in this. There are four basic levels of financial awareness leading up to being shrewd, and everyone falls into one of these categories on their way to being shrewd so the question is where are you in these four basic categories are you are you all the way to the top which Mm -hmm. would be the fifth category of being shrewd and this is uh obviously starting out with the worst one it's a financially comatose i mean (laughs) we have a a large amount of uh, credit card debt in this society i mean you know making just minimum monthly payments uh lost hope um you know you're past the point of of unease and you're you may be panicking I mean, these people are in financial um, claustrophobic. I mean, they are they are really struggling. Money has captured every aspect of their lives. Creditors call all the time um, in any place. People in this category live in denial, uh, delusional, 
and they hope Jesus will come soon. <laughs> I mean, they're they're really really struggling, and we we do counseling for some folks in this category, and sure, and they are distraught, and it's uh, it's a challenging situation to be in. It's one that you do not want to be in for very long. No, for sure. And I mean, if you're financially comatose, it's time to wake up. You know, it's uh, uh, you can't be in that situation very long, or else you dig a huge hole. Um, well, the next level of financial awareness is financially conscious. Um, you know, this is where, you know, we're not quite sure we're making ends meet. Um, we've we've acquired maybe a consolidation loan to get out of the one-time difficult cir- circumstance. We have serious sense of financial unease. Um, these people are usually financially troubled a little bit. You know, they, they're not quite sure they're making ends meet. They're not quite making ends meet. They're, they're beginning to lose a little bit of hope. Money has essentially mastered them instead of them mastering their money. So, again, this is not a very good place to be, but, you know, at least they're aware they're mm-hmm. not in good, a good situation. Well, and that's, that's leading into the next category, the financially aware. Um, these people, are, they're doing okay. But then they know they could do better. Um, they have a vague sense of unease about their finances. They're financially nervous, I guess you could say. Um, they're aware of what's going on in their finances, but sometimes money seems to be closing in around them. You know, they, they still feel that tension. Um, so right. They hadn't quite gotten to where they want to be just yet, but at least they're aware. Yeah, not quite on the right path yet. Yeah, and then the the next level here is very close to being shrewd, and that is they're financially alert. Um, you know, at this level, they, they desire to learn, understand, practice insights from other people about finances. Uh, they're living uh, in, a, in financial security. Um, they're financially on the right track. If they're financially confident, they have essentially kind of mastered money and are living uh, life more on less money, and they they've always like to pick up ideas. However, they're still they don't quite evaluate every financial decision um, very well. You know, they miss some great opportunities to save, and then you know that kind of leads you into the next level, which is being financially shrewd, which we'll describe here in a minute. So, you know, those are kind of the five levels of financial awareness. And no matter where you fall on the financial awareness grid, you need to be progressing toward the top of the chart over time. I mean, for those who are, are financially comatose, obviously it's time to wake up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to get conscious about your financial situation. You know, go to a Ramsey FPU class, Financial Peace University class. Um, see if that won't shock treat you back out of your stupor. You know, if you're he has a way of doing that. <laughs> he does have a way of doing that. It's amazing, and so that's a great place to go. But unfortunately, if you're financially unconscious or comatose, as they say here, then you're probably not even gonna gonna be aware enough to to want to go do that. That's right, and you maybe don't even know about you know who Dave is, and, and right, um, you're not you're not focused. You know, you have other things you're focusing on. Yeah, so that's the sad part of that. Sometimes it takes somebody else to help motivate them to to go to, to one of those classes and and kind of come out of their uh, you know financial stupor, if you will. So we'll continue the discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening, and we'll be right back after these messages. Money, 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 money. 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Barber, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we're continuing our discussion here before the break about are you a shrewd manager? Um, you know, it's a great topic because it's a word that's not thrown around very much, being mm-hmm. shrewd. Mm-hmm. But it, it it really has some teeth behind the meaning. Yeah, and I um, like the the categories because you, you know, everybody fits into one of these five categories. Um, they do. And we run across all types as we go through our days. Yeah. So we just went through the the really the five categories of financial awareness. You know, there's the financially comatose who have no idea where they're at. They're just in trouble and they don't even know it. And then there's the financially conscious who are in trouble, but at least they know it and they're making some moves to get better. Then there's the financially aware, where you know they're they're actually making some improvements. They're on their way mm-hmm. to being um, a little more financially alert, and which leads us to the next level, which is financially alert, where not only are they aware where they're at, they're actually on the right path. Yeah, and they're some somewhat proactive, trying to learn and read and you know get new ideas. Exactly, but they don't qu- they don't quite always make the best <laughs> financial decisions. And and then there's the financially shrewd. And a shrewd person really is is well on their way to where they need to be. I mean, they really are where they need to be. They're, they have the right attitudes about money. And we'll talk about what that means here in a minute. So that's kind of what we've led up to here. And, you know, if you're, if you're financially comatose, I mean, you've got to get yourself to a, a Ramsey a Financial Peace University class. Something's got to shock you out of the stupor that you're in. And I think that just might do the trick because it has an amazing way of doing that at the Financial Peace University class. Um, you know, but, yeah, I mean, this there's no time to be in denial about your situation. Social Security is not going to be enough. Um, you probably don't have a pension like your parents did. If you keep procrastinating, you're going to wake up, find yourself 60 years old and wondering and, and envying how everybody else that's talking about retirement because you're not going to be anywhere close to that. So, I mean, your debts are not going to get any better by themselves. So it's just like, you know, losing weight. You'll never lose weight if you don't start a diet and exercise program. So it's time to get motivated and realize that this has to happen soon. You know, you're already seriously behind. Um, so get conscious about your financial situation and get to a, a Ramsey FPU class and, you know, change your attitude yeah. about money. Or read books or, you know, go to a counselor or something. I mean, you've got to take exactly. some step to get out of that. And the next step that we talked about is if you're already conscious, so you're out of the comatose stage, you know, it's time to get aware and eventually uh, are alert. I mean, it's time to master your money, not let it master you. Um, again, we talk about the, the um, getting some additional education is a great way to start that. you got to create a budget is kind of the starting point um, of this step, you have to have an emergency fund and then start looking into your future as well. So um, start reaching out to resources. There's tons of them, whether it's Clark Howard or Susie Orman or the money doctor or someone. Go go try to, to, to you know do some research and get some knowledge. Exactly. That's great. And then once you're financially aware, you know you have some financial problems. Um, you want to get it right. So you start that by completing a financial plan. That means that you, you get a good assessment of where you are today with respect to retirement, budgeting, and investing. Once you get that in place, you're going to know where you're headed, and you're going to start to gain some confidence that will get you uh, becoming financially alert, which is the next level. Yeah, and when you, when you become financially alert, that means you've uh, finally hit a level 
where you're you're confident you're on track for a decent retirement you know you have even your your current situation moving in the right direction you're able to you know just handle everyday affairs much much better and more assertively uh now it's time to become uh financially shrewd in every good sense of the word um that means you're aware not only of where you're headed but the details on how to make every day good and how to get there, how to actually execute that plan. Yeah, exactly, how to make great financial decisions. And so here are some signs that you have become a shrewd money manager. Here's what that means, just examples of that, okay? Um, Here's one. You know, you don't just shop at a grocery store because it's convenient. Um, You do it because it offers good values and it's cheaper than the store that's closest to you. That's a good one. Yeah. Another one here is you're aware of how much you're paying for your car insurance, and you know when it's time to drop comprehensive coverage because that's when the value of your car will be less than the amount that you have in your emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's somebody that's shrewd. You know, another one here is you delay big purchases for a month to make sure they're really a need. A month? A month. Yeah. I mean, that's a shrewd person. Dr. You know? Marvin, man, you're tough. I know. Well, you got to be shrewd in your financial decisions. I like it. I like it. Because then, then you, you're like, maybe I don't need that red you, thingy. You forget you, know? you even. Half those things, yeah. you forget you even wanted yeah, it. Like, what did I want anyway? That's a good one. The next one here on the list is um, when you go to a restaurant, you get water um, because, you know. Because you're saving for Disney. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> because if you get a glass of wine or something like that, it's very, very expensive. It's the highest marked up item on the menu and actually we had someone that went through the fpu class and they ate out a lot as a family and they estimated they were spending about two thousand dollars a year as a family of four on sodas and tea there you go i mean wow so the fpu kind of got in there doing a budget yeah so if you're shrewd you're aware of that and you just stop it um a shrewd person also will buy like for example remanufactured ink cartridges for your printer Mm. um and you have an idea of how much per page you're paying for prints out of your printer that's right. How much do we pay at the office? Uh, we pay about two cents per page for black, <laughs> and we pay about uh, about ten cents a page for, I for color. I figured you knew that. There you go. I'm impressed. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, a, shrew- a financially shrewd person does not lease anything unless they're only planning to use it le- three times or less, hmm. because they know that when you rent something three times or more, there's a good chance you're paying the full value of buying it. Wow. All right. Well, what if you have an alarm system? You know, there come there. There's a monitoring system. Uh, excuse me, fee that comes along with that each year. And you know, by the time the the cops actually, the police actually get to your home, you know, the the burglars they're going to be gone anyway. So that's right. You know, there's nothing wrong with having the alarm system that maybe scares them or something like that. But paying that extra six hundred dollars a year or more, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah, so a shrewd person would never have a pocket there. Doesn't have alarm monitoring. It's just a waste of money. And then next on the list is you pay cash for your car, and you have a car fund set up to where you're saving enough money to pay cash for the next one. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there are many more, but, you know, these are just some examples of what it means to be financially shrewd in making your financial decisions. I mean, you get the idea. Shrewd money managers thinking about every purchase – they're evaluating if it is a, a prudent purchase and the use of their money, you know, every single time. It's just a mindset. It's a way of thinking about money that has become ingrained in your DNA. And it's, so it's time, it's time for you to get on path. 
to changing your DNA about money and to becoming financially alert and shrewd in the way you think about money and where it goes. Yeah, that's good. Very good. There you go, guys. All right. Good topic. And that leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. Yeah, this question actually came from a client I had a conversation with us last week, um, just kind of kind of visiting a little bit and looking at, uh, at where he where he is in the process and about five years away from retirement and the question is is should you know should I be ultra conservative with my investments and uh, obviously that you know it really depends on each situation um, some people have pensions depends if you have debt it depends on how much cash you have on hand so there's not a it's not a standard answer um, generally you know being a little bit more conservative as you go into retirement is a reasonable um, you know, reasonable thought. And, um, you know, we look at retirement as 20, 30, 40 years potentially. So it's a five-year window before you retire, but then you've got a lot of time more than likely after that that you have to look at. Well, retirement's not just a destination, <clears throat> somewhere that somebody yeah. stops. Hey, I've, I've arrived. It's what's beyond that. That's right. Absolutely. you got to think long-term. Yeah. And, I mean, furthermore, it's not a great time to be very conservative in your portfolios in terms of investment returns, right? Because this is in the 80s. I mean, you can't get 6 8% on fixed income anymore. You know, fixed income is only paying one, two percent, but most of the time, three percent. If you're really, if you're really lucky, lucky right. um, and you're taking some risk there, so you know, portfolios today most likely need to be tilted more toward equities than they do fixed income, even if you're in retirement, at least half and half. So you don't want to go overly conservative in today's world. So I would throw out the old adage of. You know, a hundred minus your age in bonds, or a hundred minus your age in, in equities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those days are over. That, yeah. that that rule of thumb doesn't work anymore. And you know, if you do a retirement plan, that can kind of get you know give you a gauge on how aggressive you need to be. I mean, some folks we work with have done a great job saving. They have pensions. They don't need to take a lot of risk in the markets. Other people do need to be a little bit more aggressive to try to get those returns. So sit down with your financial professional. Uh, go do some research on it. Yeah, that's great. Okay, good topic. And that leads up to our break here, though. Um, so if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Barber, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to lead off our uh, with our next topic here: how to convince your spouse to save. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an important topic, guys, because I mean, there's so many households out there that are not on the same page when it comes to saving and investing. One might be shrewd, and one might be social. I mean, mm-hmm. financially, yeah, comatose. Yeah, <laughs> they, Dave. Dave calls them uh, nerds and free spirits. There you go. You know, nerds are all into the details, and free spirits is like, oh, I'm going to go spend some more. So. You know, you definitely have to talk about this stuff. I mean, you know, talking about money, um, you know, kids and so forth. We we did a, uh, a discussion a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, money and marriage. And uh, unfortunately, money is one of the leading causes of divorce. So um, this article actually came from uh, the Dave Ramsey organization, a gentleman named Chris Hogan. I don't know if you guys know Chris or not, but he's a... Um, I've seen him and met him several times. Great, great individual. And has some really good thoughts in here. And, you know, you often say that, 
that the, your journey to becoming and living debt free is a marathon. It's it's not a sprint. But you know, once you've set your goals, you've nailed down your budget. Um, becoming debt free can feel a whole lot. Um, a, a lot of hard work to get there, but you can get there. And, you know, when you move on to saving for retirement, you're looking at decades of discipline saving before you can enjoy your reward. So it is a marathon, guys. It's not these things do not happen uh, overnight. And that's what a lot of folks start to wonder. What's it all for? I mean, they see a lot of other people in society not worried about their debt or, or their retirement. So they sometimes say, why should we? I mean, why do we have to care about it if no one else is? And that's a dangerous place to be. I mean, you're just one 12 months same as cash deal from being back into debt and deciding um, that you're that you're no good and your plan is not good enough. Um, so you have a solution. Here's the solution with this battle. And um, he goes on to say he promises it's going to be fun. You'll learn things about yourself and your spouse that you never knew before. And if you do it right, it could unleash an intensity that will push you to meet or even exceed your financial goals. And, um, you know, what is this magical, all-powerful solution we're talking about here? It's it's a dream. It's a retirement dream. It's sitting down and defining in detail what your ultimate retirement lifestyle is going to look like. And not the retirement you think you can afford, but the retirement you think that is nearly impossible to achieve. And, and you know, what do you see yourself doing? Where, where would you be living? Um, are you going to work part-time? If so, how much? Um, you know, you're going to be taking cruises, Steve, every other week. In retirement, or well, just maybe from not port to port, golf you know? vacation, golf, maybe, okay. but I don't know about cruises. <laughs> so, but I like that. I like this concept of of dreaming a little bit, and um, I know there's some software out there that will take uh, a picture of someone today and it will age them 20 years to show what they could look like. I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, but visually, if you can start visually thinking about some of this, it'll motivate you. Uh, so step number one, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I like the visual idea, though, and, and I love this first step, and that is to take your spouse on a retirement dream date. Um, you know, I love these planning dates. We we try to do that. Me and Kathy, uh, you know, at least every January have a planning date for the year, kind of to set our goals. And a retirement dream date just sounds great to me. You know, and what you found, what you what they found is that it, it, when you define your retirement dream your dream retirement, you're much more motivated to work for it. You know, you get a picture of what that looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the abstract dreams are too foggy. They're too intangible um, to stick with while you're waiting 30 years for the payoff. So you really have to get that visual image. What do you want retirement to look like? What are your passions going to be? What do you want to go out and do once you're retired? I think that's great. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And and so how do you you go about dreaming the right way? I mean, first of all, married couples – they have to dream together. I mean, this has to be a joint um, conversation, joint dream date, obviously. Uh, there's often a disconnect between couples on this topic because they've never talked about it before. And you might be surprised to learn that your husband doubts whether you'll be able to retire at all. Or maybe your wife is afraid that the two of you will be bored, you know, once you give up that nine to five uh, daily grind. So just sitting down and talking about specifics. So here's the deal. Set up a date night where you can go to, with your spouse if you're not married, maybe you go with an accountability partner, a friend, um, you know, and talk about this and figure out how that's going to look when you do retire. Um, but talk about nothing but retirement dreams. Put everything on the table in this conversation. You're not, you're not concerned with how much you do or do not have at this point. You're really focused on building a clear picture of what you want your future to look like. And, you know, if you um, if what you come up with doesn't excite you, you haven't dreamed big enough. So go big, right? Go big go or, big go, or home. go home. Exactly. <laughs> Something like go that. Go big so, or go home. So dream date's the number one thing. Well, and, and as you dream, you know, you've got several things you need to take into consideration here. Uh, and a willingness to compromise uh, is definitely going to be one of the top of the list because 
you're two people. You know, obviously you're one in marriage, but yeah. you know you got two different sets of ideals and everything that are coming together here to hopefully make one united dream. But um, you know, for example, if if one spouse likes to to travel a lot and the other one doesn't, you know, okay, well let's build toward the ability to be able to travel, but maybe the other spouse doesn't have to go on every single trip, right? You know, and so there, there's hopefully some flexibility um, that'll be there. Yeah, does Kathy like to play golf? Uh, no, I mean, so just riding the I, golf I've cart. I've tried. She rides in the golf cart sometimes. You know, if it's warm, it can't be can't well, be cold. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a compromise. Yeah, you know? yeah. But we but we have some dreams, and you know, it's it's neat to think about it because I mean, it's it's yeah, it's something that excites you. Yeah, right? and the, and so the point is, you know, if you never talk about some of the details, um, you might assume that that one person likes to travel and the other person doesn't, and you know, you just gotta you gotta get some details down. So I really like this. Um, take a dream date. And then you got to be willing to compromise. The third step here is, is make saving money fun. I mean, once you've outlined your dream, you'll see that your attitude about working with your budget um, changes. I mean, you'll start identifying ways every day um, that will put you closer to your goal. I mean, take grocery shopping, for example. I mean, um, guys, we've talked about this before, um, you know, going to shopping at Aldi. Um, maybe versus Kroger. Now we go to Kroger occasionally, but we get a lot of things from Aldi and Walmart. Yeah, we, we <clears throat> did the research, right? That's I mean, right. It's definitely cheaper because every That's significantly cheaper. Every dollar you save can go towards your priority, and maybe that priority is paying off debt or, or an emergency fund or saving for this dream retirement. But it becomes a game. I mean, it really does. It's a way of life. And you know what was um, a point of tension between you in the past because you're talking about it. It's actually become a, a point of encouragement. So you're battling, you know, what you're what you're looking at together. It's not a one person doing this and a one person doing that. And um, you know, I know Tammy and I talk about this frequently, and I'm always um, amazed at her insight into certain areas and the financial areas and um, her thoughts on how to save money. And she's she's very very good at it. So if I didn't include her in there, we wouldn't get to our goals as fast. So um, certainly something you want to make make sure you're having fun with it. Make it a game. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great, great step. Um, make it fun. Make everything fun. Life right. needs to be fun, Life right? Life is fun. Yeah, it is. Life so, is good. You know, make everything fun. And then this, the fourth step here, the last step is get extra help. I mean, so far you've got the three-step battle plan, right? Take your spouse on a retirement dream date. I love that one. Be willing to compromise. You have to do that. And then make saving uh, money a game. Um, but you also have to get some extra help. I mean, these three steps will get you and your spouse on the same team, working in unity toward the same goal. Um, but there's an analogy that they use in business teaching that I think applies here, too. And, and that is the, the, the Belgian uh, plow horse analogy. Hmm. You know, one of these huge horses, these Belgian plow horses, they can pull up to 8,000 pounds all by themselves, right? But if you put two horses together... Not only can they pull twice as much, but they actually can pull four times as much. They can pull 32,000 pounds with two of them together because they're trained together. They're working together as a team. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot more together than you can separately, independently. Absolutely. And just like these powerful horses, when you and your spouse take the time to decide on your goals and uh, how you're going to work towards them together, you can accomplish so much more than if you were just, you know, on your own and, you know, sitting over there doing your spreadsheets or whatever. I mean, that's the power your shared retirement dream gives you. So there's a lot of power in two. Well, and as great as it is uh, to have this awesome dream and work together um, on it, there, there's one more thing you need to, to make it a reality. You need a strong retirement investment strategy. 
that you could stick with year after year. Uh, without that, without having kind of a guide map, knowing where you're going, you could find yourself lost. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. wh- whether we're going on a physical trip, geographical trip, you know, and uh, using our GPS or a regular paper map, we need that financial map as well. Sure. And for some people, um, you know, this uh, article goes and says some people need a financial advisor to help them through that process. Um, it's interesting. Vanguard did a study um, that showed an advisor can add as much as 3% to, to your investing returns. We've we've seen the Dalbar studies. Uh, I actually had a right. client I spoke with this last week, and he was asking me about, you know, Vanguard funds. How do we differ from Vanguard, and, you know, are we worth – uh, the cost and the investment that the client has to put into us. And it really comes down to the relationship and how we can add value in a lot of different ways. Some people need to work with an advisor. Some people don't. So a lot of different choices out there. But, you know, it, summarizing this, you know, make sure you communicate with your spouse. I love the dream date idea. Uh, compromise, make it fun, and then just have an investment goal as you go through that. And you can you can achieve amazing things together. So. That's the, uh, the the power of positive today. Yeah, that's a great topic. And I think having the visual, I think it's probably the most powerful part of this that mm-hmm. comes out of it for me. Having a picture of where you want to go, pictures are so much more powerful than words. Yep. You have to have that picture of what retirement's going to look like and, and get a picture that you both agree on, that you're passionate about, that you can move toward together. So great topic. Very good. All right, that leads up to our break here, though. So if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to MoneyMD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to continue our discussion here, um, but we're going to start off here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this actually comes from Dave Ramsey. And, um, guys, we've been hitting around this all show today, but financial success is um, 20% knowledge and 80% behavior. So you do have to have knowledge. Read some books. Uh, listen to Dave, Susie Orman. There's a lot of different financial experts out there. Listen to us. We, we uh, feel like we... Um, you know, bring some value and some some solid concepts out there. But it's really the behavior. If you're if you don't use that knowledge and change your behavior, it's hard to be successful. It's hard to be financially shrewd. And I'll add to that: being financially shrewd is about a hundred percent attitude. Mm-hmm. So eighty percent behavior, but it's a hundred percent attitude. Yeah, hey, I like that. Ah. You got to have the right attitude. Steve Marbert. There you go. New quote here. To the prescription <laughs> of the week. All right, that leads up to our next topic here, and this is a great topic. Um, this is the new reality in donor-advised funds, and you know this is such an important topic because donor-advised funds is a fantastic tool that is way underutilized, I think, out there in the philanthropic world of giving. Absolutely, and you know one of the, the I think the great joys of our jobs and what we get to do is seeing people, you know, amass and and, and develop great wealth, and then. All the different things that they can do with it. Oh, yeah, positive. That's right. You know, and, and the positive impacts that they can make and that they can direct and, you know, just be a part of all kinds of stuff. And so funds like this, you know, really make allowance for that to happen. You know, and Steve, I know you're very familiar with this, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of getting into this. And so um, let's, let's go ahead and dive into it. It says, donor-advised funds first appeared on the scene back in the 1930s, and they were given congressional blessings in the 1969 Tax Reform Act, which allowed for private foundations to 
pool donations into a common fund. But they're really taken off in the past two decades because they let, you know, charitable-minded donors give appreciated assets such as, uh, you know, stocks or different things to charities without uh, the value being reduced by capital gains tax. So while claiming a charitable tax deduction, they can, you know, put these different assets in these funds. So, Steve, tell us, you know, what – give us a little better description and let our listeners know what are – you know these um, these type funds. Yeah, I love donor advised funds. In fact, I've been using one for about ten years now, and it's a powerful tool. You know, it's a way you can give appreciated assets to a charity. You get a full tax deduction for what you put in um, at the fair market value, right. but you get to sell the asset tax free inside the account, and then you get to to advise the charity the the fund where you want them to give the money. So they give the money over time to anybody you advise them to give it to. And so, yeah, I mean, basically there are accounts that are set up by donors that remain under control of an IRS-sanctioned charity, um, usually a common foundation or an independent uh, charitable aff- affiliate of a national brokerage account like, you know, Vanguard and Fidelity and TD Ameritrade. I mean, they all have them. And th- those charities will write checks or drawn on the – the donors fund their account inside this this donor advised fund, and they're they're beneficiaries that are selected by the donor. So they provide the beneficiaries, um, you know, provided their legal, you know, recognized charities in good standing that you can it, it direct the fund to give money uh, to those to those donors. Well, and, and and like we said, th- these have really become popular uh, over the last couple decades here. Uh, in fact, in 2008, there was roughly $31 billion, uh, in these type funds. And then in 2013, as much as uh, $53.7 billion. That's a lot of money mm-hmm. you know, being yeah, given and, yeah. and placed in these They've type grown funds. In popularity. So, yeah. you know, due to the growth of the number of funds and contributions, uh, as well as the overall rise in stock market, you know, things have really taken off in this area. There are now more than uh, 217000 um, donor advised funds, which is up over thirty four percent, you know, here recently. So yeah, and you know, success also brings scrutiny. Obviously, that's true. That's true. Yeah, uh, Congress is looking closely at these funds, while some critics believe they have an unfair advantage that deprive the government of uh, tax revenue. Uh, while it enriches the fund companies that hold the money. Um, Private foundations are required to discharge about 5% of the assets to charitable entities every year in order to maintain their um, tax deduction status uh, or favorable status. But there's no such requirement uh, on these donor-advised funds, guys. You you don't have to distribute anything. They basically hold the money, and uh, when the donor decides to give the gift, that's when it goes out. So uh, some people are, uh, you know, abusing this and not – they're just collecting money in there. At some point, it's going to go to a charity, but some people aren't doing that. Yeah, like any good thing, I mean, there's there's some abuse out there. I think um, the National Philanthropic Trust uh, estimates that these funds in aggregate have paid out over twice, actually twenty percent, for the last seven years um, per year uh, of their funds. So, but in a, in a 2012 analysis by the Congressional Research Service, they found that more than seventy percent of donor advised funds. Um, with a single donor advised fund account, they only they paid out less than five percent a year to charity, and fifty three percent made no grants at all. Mm-hmm. So clearly, there is some abuse going on here, where you know one person setting up maybe one account somehow, one donor advised fund, and 
you know, they're not paying There's it out. I don't know. I don't know there. where the loophole is. I haven't seen that personally. Yeah. Well, um, you know, here recently, you know, w- with all that kind of buzzing around, there there's been some proposals, you know, and some congressional members that have been kind of stepping up and saying, "Hey, uh, I think we need to take a little closer look at this." In fact, uh, Representative Dave Camp out of Michigan, he proposed an edgy tax reform uh, legislation, including a requirement that all donations to uh, donor advised funds be paid out within five years of their contribution or 20% a year. There are also efforts uh, to cap all the deductions. Now, I can't say I agree with that, that you know they should be totally depleted in five years. No. Uh, because I, I feel like if someone has a long-term goal of how mm-hmm. they want to you know, stretch this out over, gosh, however long they want to, as long as they're still... You know, as they're giving something, giving something as long as they're giving five percent a year or something, oh, something yeah. minimal amount. That's right. Keep it, keep it moving. So, you know, um, I, I think they should probably keep things moving in the in the right direction as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the account was really designed um, to democratize major major gifts. A person can transfer, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of an appreciated uh, stock from their account over to this donor advised fund and then the donor advised fund will sell the stock free of capital gains and then they dole the cash out so i think that's the beef that uh, congress is having that they're not getting some of that tax revenue associated yeah. with it yeah and i mean here's where some of the, the abuse might be coming in i mean donor advised funds can be used by families with a private foundations to meet the five percent minimum requirement um, distribution even if they haven't yet decided on a charitable group to receive the funds, so um, they can transfer funds to a donor advised fund, but postpone decision on where the charity ultimately go by donating it to their their, so their foundation. They're, they're kind of shifting some money there. Yeah, to their private know. foundation, and I think you know when you start mixing the two, that's where there's probably some abuse going on. Well, and here's something else. You know, gifts made through a private foundation they're made public, uh, and you can see those at GuideStar.org. Which can potentially lead to, you know, for some people, some embarrassing disclosures. But donations made through uh, donor advised funds, on the other hand, they're anonymous. You know, the donor advises the fund. Uh, they, they they contribute, like you've already said, uh, Steve. They contribute to the fund, and then the fund gives to the charity, and it's done anonymously. So. You know that that's that's another I guess good thing about these funds because sometimes yeah they're people, yeah people want to give and they don't necessarily. You know, the they're credit. not saying, hey, look look at me, right, look what right, I did. Right, right. They just want to make sure that they made a difference in what they did. Exactly. Uh, so it looks like we're making some, some potential tax reform in this area uh, in the future. And um, one one gentleman says, it said, since they provided so many tax benefits while providing ongoing control, you have more money flowing into these type funds. And, you know, one of the questions now is who who's benefiting most? Uh, from these type of funds and the ability to contribute there. Yeah, I think the government's looking at all they are. sources of income. I mean, you know, um, whether it's 529 plans, donor-advised funds, oh, they're looking yeah. at ways to get additional tax revenue. That's one of the things that, sure. you know, they're, they're, they're saying they're losing a whole bunch of money in taxes, right? Yeah, they're saying that, you know, for every million dollars that goes in the fund, there's potentially three, $400,000 in taxes they're losing um, you I'm know, not, but I'm not sure how they calculate that. Well, they're saying if it was a high income person that you know would have paid three or four hundred thousand dollars in taxes on a million dollars, instead they got a deduction for it. They put it in this donor advised yeah, fund. Still give they it to give somebody it to else. charity, any charity yeah, I mean, you get a deduction ridiculous. for, right? So what they're missing is the capital gains. 
That's probably the that's piece the they're only missing. piece they're missing is the capital gains, which is significant, you know. And that's why donor advised funds are so powerful, regardless of the scrutiny that's coming down from donor advised funds. I would encourage people to use them because donor advised funds are a powerful tool where you can get a full deduction for the fair market value, but avoid the capital gains tax. It's a legal way of doing it. It's it's been around forever for a long, long time now. Um, just like you, you can give money directly to charity too, but it's a lot easier because really the donor streamline it. Donor advice fund aggregates it all together. <clears throat> right. So it's a great tool. So good topic. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health um, from nine to ten a.m. here on uh, Money MD. Check us out on our website moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Great weekend. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.